Well, having worked over the last few weeks through the book of Ruth in the Old Testament together, and again, if you've missed any of that, I'd encourage you to get onto our website and pick it up there. We're going to be moving into the New Testament, and between now and the end of August, we're going to be looking at uh, John's Gospel, and in particular about encounters that people have with Jesus in John's Gospel. And we're going to be thinking about how those meetings, those encounters with Jesus change their lives and how meeting with Jesus today changes ours. And so this morning we're coming to John chapter 5, where we find a man unable to walk next to a pool of water. Now John's gospel is significant for many of us. I know I'm not the only person um, who has this as one of their favourite parts of scripture. But this particular story and this particular section of chapter 5 seems to have lots of significance for many of us as well. I was speaking to a minister friend of mine this week who decided to follow Jesus off the back of hearing this reading themselves. And uh, I remember listening to Margaret, in fact, who's led our prayers this morning, delivering what was her first ever sermon on John chapter 5 and the pool at Bethesda and it was by far and away the best first sermon I've ever heard anybody do. So it seems to me that the Spirit seems to do stuff when we look at this passage and uh, we pray that that would continue to be the case today. Now the pool at Bethesda was a well-known place of healing. It was in Jerusalem itself just to the north of where the temple stood and I'm told the original site's been excavated by archaeologists and if you go to Jerusalem you can see it for yourself. Perhaps some of you watching this morning have been there and seen it. But it wasn't just a Jewish healing place. The evidence suggests that others decided and felt it was a sacred site as well. And at one stage, it seems to have been dedicated to a Greek god, the Greek god Asclepius. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation or not, but either way, that person who was the Greek god of healing and medicine. So everyone around, not just the Jewish community, saw this as a place of healing. And so people would come, they would be searching for healing, for new life, for restoration. This would perhaps be a place you would come when you are in need of new hope and change. And the way it worked seemed to be that the waters in the pool would bubble up every so often. And then when they did, the first person to get into the pool would be healed. Now, I kind of have visions reading this of people who are all there and then there's this race to jump in and you might be the first person to be wholly under the water, but perhaps that person got their foot in first and what counts, who knows? Some thought that the bubbling water was caused by an angel stirring the waters and the eagle-eyed amongst you will have noticed that there's no verse 4 in your Bibles. Some ancient copies of John's Gospel have a verse 4 explaining all this but most of the oldest and best copies don't have it in, so most of our modern translations don't tend to have a verse 4 to this chapter. Now, the problem is that this healing pool, this shrine, this sacred space, didn't seem to work that well. And the man Jesus found lying there seems to have made a life out of his long wait for healing. And Jesus' question to him is perhaps quite pointed. Do you really want to get better? Or are you now quite happy to eke out your days with the excuse that someone else always gets in first? This man is stuck, not only because uh, he's not the first one to get into the pool, because more often than not, that wouldn't make any difference because it doesn't work. But he's also stuck in the mindset of having given up, of having, making excuses, of not bothering, 
whatever the reasoning, he's stuck and we get the impression that he doesn't seem to be that bothered about it. And 38 years is a long time. And even though it's unlikely that any of us will find ourselves at the side of a pool for 38 years without being able to walk, on a smaller scale, we can get trapped into ways of thinking that make things everybody else's fault when we could do something about the situation. Perhaps you've found yourself saying something along the lines of, well, nobody told me about that. Now, it could be you weren't in the room when the information was passed on, or rather than someone's denying you information. But we could simply ask for it and get it, or we could get stuck playing the same song over and over, nobody told me, nobody ever tells me, to the point where we don't actually change the situation. We could sort it out if we want to, we prefer not to. And you might have other examples that you can think of in your life or in the life of those around you. Sometimes we can get used to being the victim and we find it difficult to play a different role. Now, whether this is the case or not with this man, Jesus asks him, do you want to get better? And says, okay, here's then what we'll do. This place, this pool, is spoken of as a place as miraculous healing, but at best it was spasmodic, at worst, I guess, a total fiction. This whole thing, this myth, this legend, is it fiction? Is it fraud? Is it exaggeration? We don't know. Are there people who are invested in this story? They're making money perhaps even off uh, the fear and vulnerability of others. Then along comes the one who John has been telling us about, the one who in the third chapter of his gospel speaks to Nicodemus, in the fourth chapter of his gospel speaks to the woman at the well. And here comes the one that John tells us is the true son of God. And in a flash, Jesus does what the pool has stood for, but hasn't been doing it very successfully. A word from Jesus is all that it takes. And in case the command, in this case rather, the command to get up, pick up your mattress and walk. We aren't even told if this man believed as we, are some, as we sometimes are in these sorts of encounters. But presumably he must have done on some level or else he wouldn't have done what Jesus was telling him to do and got up. But as he does that, as he listens, as he does what Jesus asks him to do, his life is changed. And as with many of the stories we read in the Gospels, particularly in John, what Jesus does fulfills the longings and hopes of God's people, of the Jewish people, expressed in a variety of ways. And often this happens in connection with religious festivals, and that's why everyone's gathered in Jerusalem. And here, however, Jesus is doing that, but also seems to be fulfilling the hopes and the vague, half-formed beliefs of the pagan world as well. Jesus saw the longing for healing in this man, and I suspect understands that our need for help, our need for something to change, can lead people to looking in all sorts of different places for healing. But part of the point of the gospel is that if salvation is of the Jews and Jesus is now bringing that salvation, um, then it must spread out from the Jews to embrace the wider world. This isn't something to be hemmed in by the religious community. This is something to be shared liberally, generously, graciously and joyfully with the people around them. It's not something to keep to ourselves Friends, good news is for sharing. The hope 
and healing and mercy of God is not something to note down only for us to move on to the next thing or to cherish deeply within our hearts without being willing to help other people cherish it in their hearts too. When Jesus says, get up, the word is regularly one used in the New Testament to describe the resurrection. And here is part of the work, what Jesus is doing. He isn't trying to use uh, something within the existing creation to put right something else that's gone wrong with the same old creation. He's instead bringing new life, new creation. And it bursts through into this present world, bringing healing and new possibilities. Jesus is doing something new. And whilst to the man at the pool and to many others who met and listened to and believed in Jesus, this is all good news, despite the fact that it totally changes their world and turns it upside down. Others couldn't get past how disturbing and unsettling they found it all. To some, the new life, the new possibilities, the new way of understanding was threatening and it was scandalous. Now, we may not love everything about how things are, but we're damned if we're going to let anyone do anything about it. It's that kind of message. We're definitely going to let a car- not going to let a carpenter's son from Nazareth change how we see the world. And as a few of the verses go on in John 5 to show us, what Jesus does in healing this man is not without controversy. Jesus said, get up, take up your mat and start walking. So he got up, he picked up his mat and he started walking. Praise God. Hallelujah. We had a healing. We've had a miracle or not. It's the Sabbath. What are you doing carrying your mat around? That's against the rules. But the man who's just enabled me to walk after 38 years told me to. Who was that then? Who told you to? And would you not be tempted to reply in those moments? Did you not hear what I said? I couldn't walk and now I can. Perhaps you don't recognise me. I'm the man who's been sitting at the side of the pool at Bethesda for 40 years. What did this man look like? Tell us more about him. Wow, it's just a great exercise in missing the point of two people having a conversation and not connecting at all. They seem to be on a different page altogether to this man who is experiencing his first walk in decades, perhaps ever in his life. They're in different time zones entirely. Not physical ones, of course. This isn't a socially distanced healing. This isn't happening via Zoom with them spending the first five minutes trying to tell each other how to get off mute. This is, but they are in different theological time zones. They seem to think that it's time to rest and to stay still and to keep things as they are. But Jesus is wide awake and has already started his day and is doing something new. Now, as we read about it in the Old Testament, we discover that one of the original purposes of the Sabbath was to highlight the seventh day when the creator of the world rested from the work of making the world. And so week by week, a law observant Jew would keep a strict day without work. And over time, the definition of what might constitute work has come to be so carefully defined that no one could be in any doubt about what it meant. Jesus, however, seems to have systematically and deliberately continued to do things on the Sabbath that could be understood and were certainly understood by his opponents to be work. He didn't have to heal this man on this day. He'd waited nearly 40 years. I'm not sure another day would have been a huge problem. 
But Jesus heals him that day all the same. And though what Jesus himself does could hardly be described as work, he's really only uttered a couple of sentences here, what he told the man to do to carry his mat certainly would have been considered work. As the chapter unfolds, Jesus explains that he's living in this other time zone, that his father is at work and it's important for him to be at work as well. As John goes on, he tells us that this is one of the reasons why his opponents tried even harder to end his life. We see here an example, and it's certainly not the only one in Jesus' ministry, of what the words of John 1 mean, where we're told he came to his own and his own did not receive him. This is what that looks like in practice. They were simply not ready for the new creation, for the living word to come to them with new things to say. They're living in an old time zone and they are angry at Jesus for waking them up too soon. And this animosity and opposition will continue all the way until it reaches its climax in the crucifixion. In many ways, this conflict continues today, but in different forms. With Jesus' resurrection, God's project of a new creation has begun right across the world. And there are people who still react angrily to it. Where are the followers of Jesus today who are prepared to say, Jesus is at work, Jesus is uh, about the business of bringing a new life, and so am I. I want to be part of that. If it's what Jesus is doing, then I'm in. Might we be part of that community? I hope so. You know, how you approach this section of John's Gospel might be affected by the headings that the editors of your particular translation of the Bible have put at the top. See, the editorial board of each translation decides on the headings that go at the top of the sections. They aren't part of the Bible. They're an added extra. And sometimes the headings to sections of the Bible uh, give us titles that totally miss the point of what's going on. The first three translations I looked up this morning had something, all had something different written above these verses from John 5. The first called it the healing pool, which granted is where the man is and where the healing takes place. But is this story really about the pool? Are we sure the pool is even a healing pool? I think you can see the problems with that heading. The second one labelled it even on the Sabbath. And perhaps that certainly nods to the broader theological argument that Jesus is having with the religious leaders at the time. But it makes no mention of Jesus or of the man who is healed. I know there will be translations which have more helpful things written at the top, but can we not at least agree that Jesus bringing healing to this man is a significant part of what is happening in these verses? Everyone else in the story seems to focus on other things or to move on fairly swiftly. But for this man, his life has been totally changed because of an encounter with the living God. How easy it is to totally lose any sense of perspective because we're pushing our own agendas, even when we do it sincerely, thinking that they're godly. How easy it is to then miss what God has done and is doing right under our nose. How quick we are to take a breath and ask God what's really important. That's what we should be doing in each situation. Asking God to show us 
what is going on, rather than jumping in and attacking the first thing that makes us feel uncomfortable. If the gospel, friends, I want to suggest to you this morning, if the gospel isn't challenging you and disturbing you as much as it is comforting you and encouraging you, then I think it's quite possible you haven't understood it at all. If the challenge for the man at the side of the pool was to be willing to change and to look to the right place for healing and transformation, then the challenge for everyone else is to not is to be willing to change ourselves. Yes, and God may want us to move out of all sorts of attitudes and patterns and habits in our lives, but also the challenge is about being discerning and open-hearted so that we not only notice, but that we receive and embrace what God is doing. The challenge is to continue to be open to learning new things and growing in our faith, of being disciples of Jesus. Not people who think that we have finished being transformed, but people who want to grow and change to become more like Jesus Christ. And so this man, with his lack of religious zeal, And his vague sense of spirituality meets Jesus and his life is totally changed. The others, with their commitment to the law and their sense of righteousness, met Jesus and refused to listen. I think I know which one we're supposed to be aiming for. And it's quite possible this morning that there are some of us who have missed the point just as these people did and have missed what God has been trying to tell us, have missed what is right in front of us, right under our nose. And so we offer to God our confession, and we ask the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is doing. And it's more than possible this morning that there are some of us who, just like the man beside the pool, don't have all the answers, but do have enough faith to listen to the one who heals. Friends, if that's you this morning, I would encourage you to pray. And if you're not sure how to go about that, or you don't have anyone to pray with and you'd like that, do get in touch with us. We'd love to arrange to pray with you. And it's almost certainly true this morning that there are those of us who are ready to get up and walk, ready to give our lives to Christ, perhaps for the first time, perhaps afresh, having done it before, and have the Holy Spirit do a transforming work in us. And friends, if this is you today, I encourage you to act on this moment, to tell somebody else before it fades away. Don't let this moment pass. Friends, whatever our response, however we hear this story this morning, may God bless each of us with a desire to see the world around us and the people around us, and indeed ourselves, as Christ does and to seek to bless and to help and to listen and to heal at every opportunity.